Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Stacey Bellward, the host of the Connected Families podcast. Welcome to our community. We are people committed to pursuing God's grace and truth for ourselves and then daily working to pass that grace and truth on to our children. I am so glad that you're here today. And I'm just going to say, you are going to be so glad that you are here today too, because I have Dr. Henry Cloud on the show. It's a big deal. Can't wait to ask him questions about his latest book called Trust. But very quickly, I have to tell you, next week is the week that discipline that connects with your child's heart online course opens for registration. You guys, it's only one time a year. Registration is going to be a really quick window. And then we roll out all the new stuff that we've been planning for you. Well, I will talk more about that later in the show, or you can just tap through to the show notes right now without any delay. Let's go. I'm going to introduce Dr. Henry Cloud, clinical psychologist pastor to pastors, and New York Times bestselling author. His 46 books, including the iconic boundaries, have sold over 20 million copies worldwide. Trust, knowing when to give it, when to withhold it, how to earn it, and how to fix it when it's broken is his newest book and the reason for this interview. Dr. Cloud lives in Los Angeles with his wife, Tori, and their two daughters, Olivia and Lucy. Dr. Cloud, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stacey. It's good to be here. You know, first thing I want to do is sign up for that course you got coming up. You, I can't remember exactly the tagline, but discipline that connects to your child's heart. Yes. Okay. That is our core curriculum. All right. So, you know, my Bible says all discipline seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. <laughs> so if you can get a kid liking time out, I am just, I'm signing up for that, baby. That is like the best thing I've ever heard. I don't know if we would say we teach that kids will like time out. Actually, I think that you're all on board with this stuff because I was looking at your Facebook page a couple of weeks ago and there was a meme there of something that you said it was connected people do better in all aspects of life. So I kind of was like, wow, we are kindred spirits here, you and us. No doubt about it. There is literally, literally, literally nothing alive that works without being connected. Yeah. Period. That's good. That's good. Well, I have to ask you, how many years apart are your two daughters? They're not multiple years apart. (laughs) They're 20 months apart. And we are uh, not too exactly new, but close to newly empty nesters. They're 21 and 22. And so they've been out of the house a couple of years. So actually, we're not parenting anymore. Parenting that's one of my pet peeves. Don't get me into that one. People say they have adult kids. There's no such thing as an adult child. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Now we like need another podcast. Yeah, you are not parenting an adult. If you're parenting an adult, you don't have an adult. You have a child in a 25-year-old body. So okay, parenting ends at 18. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Period. That Different is- role after that. You're a mother or a father, but you're not a parent. The Bible says that. Look, look at Galatians 4. It says, when we were children, we were under guardians and managers until the date set forth by the father. So there's supposed to be this, you know, later became a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, but there's supposed to be a date. You're not under their guardianship and manager role anymore. God doesn't have any grandkids. Jesus said, don't call anyone right. on earth, father, leader, rabbi, or let them grow up. 
Yeah. I love that so much because my oldest is turning 20. She just came home from her first year of college. The second one just graduated from high school. Everybody in our audience knows that. And I sat him down at the beginning of the summer and I had a meeting with them and I said, so it doesn't feel like our relationship changed, but guess what? It just did. So let's talk about how we're going to interact different this summer. I love what you just said. That's good. Well, hey, let's dive into parenting. Okay. And apply your book trust. And I just want to get right to it because, you know, many of the people, all the people in our audience know that we talk a lot about safety around here at Connected Families. It's the bottom of our framework. It's the very first message. We spend a lot of time on it. We want to communicate to our kids, you are safe with me. Um, And in the book, in your book, you link safety and trust. So can you give some key indicators? What does it look like for a parent to be safe with their kids? And of course, we're not talking physical safety here. That's a given. We're talking emotional. Yeah, Stacey, I I don't know any better kind of theme than than you could have almost. It's the foundation of everything. The the human organism, I'm going to get technical here, but the the human organism, the construction, everything that you are, is designed with very complicated systems designed by God through your your neurobiological makeup, your physical makeup, your psychological makeup, the anatomy, everything to 24-7, every millisecond of your existence, this system asks one question before anything else. And that question is, am I safe? Am I safe? It's sort of like if you have a if you have an alarm system in your house or your apartment and that green light is is on and you're not hearing anything, that system is running and you don't have to pay attention to the windows or whatever. You can go keep on cooking or watching TV or whatever you're doing because you can be careless that you're safe in the house. For the last minute, everybody here has been breathing. You've been careless because your system, that algorithm inside has determined the oxygen around you is safe. And so you can continue in life. But if it determined a fume or a toxic something through your skin or your eyes or your nose, then all of a sudden, what would happen? It would come to awareness and you would hit pause and you go and you'd, you'd, you'd start checking it out, right? Well, that's how we're designed because you can't do life if you're not safe. So you get to parenting. Parenting is a relational enterprise and a functional enterprise. So to parent well, the relationship has got to be safe and the processes that are going to teach them to function have got to be safe. Now, safe doesn't always mean comfortable, but it means safe. And so it is the most important thing. And, you know, you go to trust and that's the fuel that runs it all, right? You breathe in the air because you trust it. If you can't trust it, you don't breathe it. If a kid can't trust their parent, they're not getting parented. So oh, that's good. That's kind of where it starts. So, okay. Then the next question is, you say that trust is earned. We don't automatically give it, but also you're saying that we're hardwired for it. Like we, yeah. it, it's almost in our DNA. We, we breathe. That's even a, um, a product of trust. So do parents need to earn trust? Well, they do every day. I mean, from from the very first moment, you know, we let's take both of those. We are wired to trust. And it is one of the biggest 
not only things that saves our lives and drives our lives, but it's also one of the biggest problems in our lives is that by default, we want to trust. We want to move towards relationship. That's why your teenager trusts that bad boy that, he, that she shouldn't trust, right? Because mm-hmm. she's wired to connect. Now, our job is to make that trust muscle smart. So she or he wires is wired to connect with the good people, not the bad ones. But but you're talking about a parent earning this trust. When a baby comes into the world, they are neurologically, physiologically designed to be asking that question, am I safe? Everybody's heard the term mirror neurons. They have mirror neurons that before they understand words that are sensing from mom when she that baby comes out and she brings that baby to her chest, those those mirror neurons are asking the question, am I safe or not? And when they hear the cooing and the soft tones and, oh, you're upset, let me, you know, the rocking and all of that, mommy is earning trust. Of course we have to earn trust. But if she yelled or, you know, like, I thought you were going to be something different. (laughs) All of a sudden, they're backing up. And and if you've ever seen the videos of this, like on Discovery Channel or something, where where infants are mirroring and they're learning to trust, you see the absolute truth of what David said in Psalms that parents really need to understand. God, you taught me to trust you at my mother's breast. That's what David said, that it starts there. Sometimes it drives me crazy when parents, when people say, oh, well, you get your relationship with God through your earth, heavenly father, through your relationship with your earthly father. That's just not true. I don't know who came up with that. But it's, it's just not true. Is that a component? Yes, but it's not the whole thing, especially, mm-hmm. you know, the Bible's pretty clear about that, as well yeah. as the science. We have to earn it. We have to earn it. And it makes sense. Even, you know, we have a lot of people in the foster and adoption world in our community. I am many people on our staff. Earlier this year, we released an online course called Sensitive and Intense Kids that our co-founder Lynn Jackson wrote. And that's kind of some of the basic understanding that we need parents to understand that when, when children have not been able to trust a caregiver And it's not only in this situation, but sometimes that is a trauma response then. That all just really, really makes sense. It's also good to think about, you know, you take a traumatized kid and they can't trust a caretaker. Well, actually, when they're they're responding, you know, defensively or in suspicious or, you know, vigilant kind of ways or acting out, they actually are trusting that caretaker. They're trusting them to be like the ones they've had in the past. They're trusting them to hurt them. We can't get away from trust. That kid has 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 learned that humans hurt me, and so I'm going to trust them. I'm going to believe them. They've hurt me. I'm going to avoid them. That's trust. You can't ever get away from it. Those trauma reactions are not always because of previous untrusting parents. I just want to say that because there's all sorts of reasons for that. But we have a whole community of certified parent coaches that have come through connected families. And so I told them, yeah, and I actually put out to our Facebook alumni group. Those are, that's like a really huge group of people that have come through our discipline that connects and that sensitive intense course. So I said to that group of people, hey, 
I get to interview Dr. Cloud, what questions should I ask him? Because Uh-oh. we love to include our community. Yeah. And so we have a coach, Steve, from up in Canada, Toronto, I think. He threw us a little bit of a doozy. I'm wondering what you'll say to this question. He said, I've been wrestling with the quote from C.S. Lewis, right? That's the Chronicles of Narnia about Aslan the lion who represents God. And the quote is this, of course, he isn't safe, but he's good. Now I'm guessing, right, our world's definition of safety has really changed since C.S. Lewis wrote the book. But the question is, why is being safe for our kids so critical? And how is God safe? Yeah. And how is he not safe? Right. You know, when when you first read the quote, I love that quote. I thought of that's just so true. (laughs) The way we define safety, because we define safety, what creates homeostasis for me? In other words, what creates kind of like, I'm okay right now. I don't have any distress. You know, I'm not pressured in any way. I'm not, you know, I'm just okay. I'm relaxed, relaxed. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, if a parent just lets their kid stay relaxed and in homeostasis, they're going to be 42 on the couch playing video games, right? We were laughing about that verse earlier. All discipline for the moment seems not to be, you know, easy or joyful, but sorrowful. It's a bummer. Part of parenting is actually to to get people out of their comfort zones and push them to the next level of growth which and bring reality demands to them that they're not ready to handle comfortably, that they have to grow into handling. One of the biggest crises out there we see today, Stacey, is, and I want to scream, is this over coddling of children and this doing everything for them and over parenting. And we're not building In a lot of cases, we're not building the next level of resilience and skills. And it drives me nuts. Children are so much more capable than what a lot of parents are demanding from them, that they're raising children. They're not raising adults anymore. Mm. And so, you know, if you think safe is comfortable, then you're not parenting. If you look at the research of like the great body of research from Chicksetmihaya called Flow, you draw a graph and on, on, on the graph, you know, on the vertical graph is challenge and on the horizontal graph is ability. Well, there's a, you know, it kind of goes up, up into the right. And if they're way out on ability past what we're challenging them to do, they are floundering, regressing, falling asleep and going backwards. If you're challenging them way past what they have ability to do, you're overwhelming them. So we shouldn't ask a three-year-old to drive a car, but (laughs) our youngest daughter had no interest. And finally, in her sophomore year in college, we said, Luz, it's over. You are learning to drive. Because <laughs> yeah. she was like, she didn't care. We go, you're going to need this. You know, Uber's not going to be everywhere, right? So, so it's a balance. But all of that process needs to be safe. But remember, safety is not always how the child defines it. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that. So the way he put the question was, what is safety? What is being uh, safe and how is God safe? You know, one of the great things that's happening right now in the corporate world where I work a lot is there's a big emphasis on psychological safety. 
you know, we're going to assume the physical safety, like you said. If you go to all the research, like if you look at the marriage research, psychological safety, one of the great researchers there, Gottman, says that psychological safety is the number one factor for successful marriages, that they exist, the couple exists in a bubble of safety. So they feel they can be careless. They don't have to take care of themselves. Their, their, their spouse is going to watch their back. Their spouse is going to go. The husband's out on a business trip. She doesn't have to guard herself and be checking, checking his you know, location or something. She can go about her business because he's got her back because he's faithful. Okay. Mm. So we're looking out for each other. That's one of the five things I talk about in the book about the model of, of trust. But psychological safety, not only in marriage, but the corporate sector is realizing this. And this is where it comes in for parenting, that, that psychological safety has been shown to be the number one factor for successful work performance leading to, and here's some of the indicators that the corporate world comes up with, higher performance, more fulfillment, higher achievement, innovation, creativity, and problem solving from psychological safety. So now think about God in this. What is that psychological safety that parents have to have to create and that God creates? Number one, the safety to express yourself by putting your ideas and thoughts out there to take risks, to make mistakes without the fear of guilt, anger, punishment, revenge, retaliation, and isolation. I'm going to say those words again. Mm-hmm. You're psychologically safe when you can express yourself. I mean, can I, what if a kid says, you know, they're sitting around the table, well, I don't know if I believe in God or not. Yeah, right. Uh, in some homes, that's going to get a reaction, right? Don't you even say that in this house? Or how could you say that? Well, you're never going to get to that heart and get to those doubts and get to all of that stuff if they're not even safe to say it. Or maybe it's not about God. Maybe it's about, you know, maybe it's about the parent. Maybe it's about whatever. So the safety to express yourself. Now, can we say anything we want in any way we want? Well, no, we might get corrected. You know what? You can talk about how you feel, but but I'm not going to allow you to call your sister a witch, right? Mm-hmm. Say it in a different way. But I'm still safe to express myself. And even in the correction, I'm not, you know, jumping down their throat, right? So ability to express yourself and put your ideas and thoughts out there. I mean, was Thomas doubting Thomas psychologically safe? Yes. He sure was. <laughs> he sure was. So was Job psychologically safe? He screamed at God and accused him of everything. Yes. And then Job got all the cows in the end. He got rewarded for it. His friends who were criticizing everything he tried to express it was, they sound like a walk through a Christian bookstore, all the stuff they said, you know, you should have more faith. You should put your trust in God more. You should get the sin far away from you. You're suffering because you don't know God's precepts and spend enough time in his word. They gave my, and they got punished. Yeah. Because yeah. they didn't listen. So kids have got to be free to talk. If we're going to get to their hearts, they got to be able to express themselves. Mm-hmm. The second one, to take risks. How are you going to learn without taking risks and making mistakes. Yeah. Now think about, you asked me about God. Think about Peter. God, the parent predicts, Peter, you're going to blow it three big times. You're going to deny me three times. Oh no, Lord, I'll never do that. You know? Yeah. Well, God knew he was grandiose too and overestimated his abilities like all teenagers. 
<laughs> but then Jesus says this to him. He says, but after you have returned, you will become the source of strength for many. So we've got him looking down Peter's teenage years and realizing he's not going to get it perfect. Yeah. And what if you had a toddler said, I want you to learn to walk. But if you fall down, I'm going to jump down your throat. Think about it. So yeah. now what we have to do is we have to create the guardrails. So the risks that they, you know, there's age appropriate risks, right? And we want to mitigate against them having, you know, too much rope so that they hang themselves. But sometimes parents are so afraid of letting their kids fail or fall down that they can't ever learn. Mm -hmm. And then when they do make mistakes, they make it so absolutely horribly punitive that they're either going to disconnect from the parent or never get out of the boat again. So, you know, it's just got to, you have to be safe to learn and all that, but without the fear, I'll finish this sentence and then we'll, um, we'll go to some other parts, but without the fear of guilt and anger and punishment, revenge and retaliation and, and yeah. isolation, you know, God does not punish us. God, mm -hmm. God disciplines us, which basically means to teach. So you've got to use whatever happens to teach. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be comfortable. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they might not be in time out, but it's not going to be dangerous. I love that. And I loved the illustration of the chart that you talked about from the book Flow. And I think that one of the things that we teach here at Connected Families is the just right challenge. It's actually in that discipline oh. that connects with your child's heart online course, right? It's no matter what you think your child should be able to be doing at this stage, or if their older brother or younger brother does that thing, um, what's the just right challenge for your child? You know, know until they show us yeah we were having this conversation not long ago with some people and we have some friends that couldn't go out to dinner because they didn't want to leave their 12 and 14 year old <laughs> yeah our kids were babysitting at that age keep saying other people's kids so we got this this conversation and i i just gave a couple of examples like when i was growing up this would have been probably we were probably eight nine years old, maybe, maybe 10 or so. Ten, let's make it really safe and say 10 or 11. <laughs> okay. We used to go up to the grandparents' farm of a friend of mine's all the time. And we'd get on, we'd get on horses. They have 5,000 acres out in the Mississippi Delta in the woods and swamps. We'd get on the horses and take our shotguns and say, we'll be back in a couple of days. Glad yeah. you landed on 10 years old, Dr. Cloud. What's that? I'm glad you landed on 10 years old. i tell you why I, was, why I was struggling with it, because I was remembering that particular friend and kind of what grade we hung out a lot. And I think it was probably, I was probably maybe 11 or 12, it's, it's possible. Okay, but the point is, you know, we'd go disappear for a couple of days on horseback with shotguns and go hunt deer and ducks and stuff and come back. Oh, there were no cell phones. There were no anything. And then, and then I also, also told a story about when I was, a, I know that I was in the sixth grade. I know this. I got asked to be a page in the state legislature in Jackson, Mississippi. And I lived in Pittsburgh. It was about an hour away. And another classmate friend got invited to and our parents put us on the bus and gave us some money and sent us to the state capitol and gave us some money and said, when you get in, check in and get a room and spend the week and go to work and we'll see you next weekend. 
And well, things have changed, Dr. Cloud, because even my college age student can't even get a hotel room right now. I, like they I, have to be. I, un- I understand be that. Older. I understand that. I'm not. I'm not suggesting people go break the law or anything like that. What I'm trying to show is kids are capable. So we can find out in today's realities. And don't send me a bunch of hate mail about how, you know, we can find out, given the circumstances people find themselves in, that what kids' limits are and what their capabilities are. And you don't know, you know, unless you find out. They're so much more capable. It's very true. We're going to go to a break. And after the break, I want us to just kind of bullet point through the five essentials of trust. I just love that in the book because we love frameworks around here at Connected Families. And it's a little bit of a framework. It's like a checklist that someone could use. And I just think it's so useful in this context of trust. So hold on one second and we'll be back in just a second. Hey friends, Discipline That Connects With Your Child's Heart is opening for registration next week. You know we only do this one time a year. You also know that we talk about the Connected Families Framework and the messages of you are safe, you are loved, you are called and capable, and you're responsible. We talk about that all the time on this podcast. Those are the messages that you and I want our children to hear and understand and know beyond a shadow of a doubt. But you and I also know that sometimes there's a disconnect between parents and kids. Well, Discipline That Connects teaches you in eight online sessions how to practically apply those messages in a way that land the way that you want and guides you to connect even in the midst of discipline. Did I say that registration for this year opens next week? I know I did, but I gotta say it again. You can start the course right away once you register. Well, one time a year, we pull out all the stops and we add all sorts of extra perks. I'm really excited about the new things that we're adding this year. Everyone who signs up gets not only access to all the video content and extra resources, but also go for a walk and listen to the audio only version, you guys, because we know how you roll and you asked for it. And so we got it for you. Also new this year, but just for a limited number of people, there will be the opportunity to join community check-in groups, right? So if you are an all-in person, you don't want to miss this. Those people get extra perks, but more importantly, they get the chance to really deeply learn and apply the content of the course to your family, right? Community check-in groups are new. There's only going to be about 100 spots for those. So be sure to grab one right away when registration opens. Well, I don't want you to miss out because we only open Discipline That Connects online course once a year. So here's what you need to do this week. If you are not getting our Thursday parenting tips email already, go sign up. You'll hear all about the course, all about the free stuff, such as our cute new stickers that we're going to be selling and giving away for free. All that is coming up next week. All right. I had so much fun putting all this together. Listen, tap into the show notes right now. Sign up for parenting tips. You'll get them every Thursday. You'll hear about it and not miss out on anything regarding discipline that connects with your child's heart. All right. Thanks, everybody. 
right, everybody, we're back here after the break with Dr. Henry Cloud. I think, Dr. Cloud, you just told people to send their kids off into the wilderness no. on a horse with a shotgun. <laughs> be like my childhood dream, but I don't <laughs> want to say that here. No, I'm not suggesting that anybody send their kid out on a horse with shotguns or send them to another city at 11 years old on a bus and tell them to get a hotel room. You know, I understand the context, so I'm not saying that. I would say a couple of things, though, about that. You don't do anything a child's not ready to do. When I was growing up, for a kid to be able to go hunting at 12 years old, why? Because they had started being trained to shoot at camp when they're seven or eight and gun safety and knew how to do that. And so we're talking, you know, a very experienced 12-year-old or riding horses since they were, you know, a little kid. So, see, that's part of the parenting. It's equipping kids to be able to take the next step. So no, make sure you do things that are safe for your kid, but let them learn. I like that. And you know, I really, I can't wait. We're going to go through the five essentials of trust in just a second, but we're going to apply it to our kids. And I think that, you know, what you just said, the training so that they grow in that skill can even be applied to this, right? Because we know our kids are going to fail. And so we'll get to that in a second, but I had another parent in our community send in this question. And I really love it because it speaks to the heart of the parents that are listening today. You know, we're parents who want to receive God's grace and truth so that we can pass it on to our kids. And we've already laid the foundation of we do need to earn trust with our kids. And so this is what Jen asked. She said, how can I, as an imperfect parent, working to build trusting relationships with my kids, how can I do that when like, I have a sensitive and intense nine-year-old that really triggers me sometimes? How do I build trust even when the relationships could have challenges? I love that question. What I'm wondering is if we could just kind of think about that question as we walk through these five essentials, right? So first one, Dr. Cloud, it's understand. It's the building block of trust and safety. What does that look like for a parent? Well, it's the most important thing in humanity, actually. It drives everything. In fact, you know, Jesus said that that the whole law and the prophets depends upon the ability to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, to love your neighbor as yourself basically assumes that you have the capacity to get out of your own experience and and look at somebody else and see what it would feel like to be them. So if I'm going to love them like I would want to be loved, I've got to be able to understand what they need and what they want and empathize with how I'm making them feel, right? It's huge. And and like I said earlier, you go back to looking at the created order, how God designed us with these mirror neurons and everything else to be able to sense how somebody else is feeling. I would say this to parents, keep this phrase in, in your head. You don't understand your child when you understand them. You understand your child when your child understands that you understand. See, now you've closed the loop that when they start to feel connected with and that you really understand what they're feeling and know where they're coming from and what it's like to be them, that's when empathy has happened. I remember I was was at the hospital one day or at the clinic or somewhere way back when a friend of mine, psychologist said, I had the most interesting experience this morning. I said, what? And he said, well, my wife's out of town. He said, I was getting our our four-year-old ready to go to 
preschool and and she was lollygagging i gotta get going and i keep going back in there and say get ready i told you and she's not doing it and then i come back five minutes later i go what are you doing you know you said i'm find myself getting amped up she's not getting ready and then i'm feeling like i'm mad and he said and I'm, before i you know start really getting amped up i check myself and i asked myself what would i do if this was one of my patients and i stopped for a second i thought and he said oh my gosh he said, I leaned down, I looked her in the eye and I said, you miss your mommy, don't you? And she goes, <laughs> and she said, he said, she fell in his arms. He said, I miss her too. It's so hard with her gone. And they, she, 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 he said, I sat there and held her for a minute and we just cried together. And I'm holding her. And then all of a sudden she goes, dad, wait, we got to go. We're going to be late. <laughs> See, what happened was her cognitive capacities kicked in after and not until she felt understood. That's so, good. And it ties right into the second one, which is motives, because you named it a, just a little bit ago, but there's a disconnect be, between parents and their kids. And the kids don't always feel like the kid, the parents are for them. And right. I know that some parents can even get a little offended at that. Like what? My whole life is for you. Everything I do is for you. I spend all my money for you. But in that moment, that little girl knew that her dad was for her and he used empathy to work to understand her. And she knew that he was on her side. So, yeah, talk a little bit about that, that relationship between understanding motive and, and expound on motives. Well, motive is a big deal. And your example of what you said, you know, when the mom said how could you think I'm not for you? Look what everything I do to you. Well, you know, calm down, mom. Don't act like that's such a foreign idea. How many times has the God who came to earth and died for you? Stuff happens and you go, you feel like he's not watching out for me. He doesn't care for me. He's not coming. I mean, how many times does God do things that we don't understand and we doubt whether or not he's really watching or for us? So, we can start the empathy by understanding, oh, I felt that. So let's start there. You know, that's why we have to be reminded that, you know, he's for us all the time. Bad mm-hmm. stuff happens. So I say that to calm parents down in terms of sometimes your child is not going to feel like you're for them. And this goes back to your triggering comment because you're doing everything possible for them. And they're going to see you as persecutory, especially sometimes when it comes to discipline. I'll give you an example. Take a 10-month-old to the doctor and, or even a two-year-old, and the doctor figures out they, they need a shot. Well, obviously, you're for them. They're not going to feel like you're for them. And you never would get triggered or punish them for not understanding at that moment how much you love them. Okay? So back to the empathy. That's where you got to empathize with that. Say, I know, honey, I know, I know you hate this and I know it doesn't feel good, but. I'd love to like apply it to that little story though, that you said with that dad, because if, if he was communicating with her, well, let's just say how he started was let's go. We got to go. We got to go. She didn't feel understood. She felt like his motives were all about him and his agenda. That was not trust building behavior. She didn't, she didn't feel the trust when he stopped and shifted that and worked to understand what's going on inside of her right now. That's right. And then came to her with that. It was a complete shift. 
Now right. she knew she could trust her dad. He got her. He was with her. He was on her side and she could move on. And we don't do that as parents in a manipulative way, right? We're not empathizing to get what we want. We're empathizing because we want to be on the same side, on the same team as our child. Right. And, but at the same time, realizing you're not going to get what you want if you don't. So it is just true too. You know, you said something in there that about motive that reminded me, you know, when he went in there, she didn't feel like that was for her, that felt like it was for his agenda, right? Well, this is where it's so big and important for parents to set the expectations well. So the child knows that they are in charge of their quality of life. And then the motive becomes for them. So let me give you an example. If he had told her the night before or early that morning, you know, here's the way, here's the way the day can work. Now, today you wanted to go have a play day, right? With, with Susie after school. Yeah, I want to go. I want to go. Okay. Now I can do that. But the only way I can do that is if I get started on time and see all my patients in time to be able to come pick you up. So I need for you to be ready this morning and we get off on time so you can have what you want this afternoon. Well, so now, even when you get into the disciplinary moment, the child knows your motives are for them to succeed. Your motives are for them for it to go well for them. And then when it ends up, well, you know, you told Johnny, you know, uh, we're going to go to the Lakers game tomorrow, me and you and your sister and your dad and, Everybody's going to get to go. It's going to be awesome. But we're going to have an inspection tonight. Since game's tomorrow. We have an inspection tonight at 6. And the people that get to go are the ones that have done their chores and everything day. So I got to go do this and this and this. And your dad's got to go take care of me. Your sister's doing this. And you've got that module in, in your math to finish. And you got the backyard. So we're going to all get together at 6 and see who gets to go. And I'm pulling for you. Okay. Now, just to, let, just, just to let you know, Johnny, I did check with Mabel, the babysitter from hell. Remember her, the one you hate? And she's available tomorrow. And so yeah. if you choose to not have everything done by six, then, you know, you, you can stay with her. But I'm pulling for you. So I'll yep. see you. Yep. Well, now you set the expectation. And it's great because, yeah. you know, I, I, I think I heard that example, the babysitter from hell from Jim Fay. And it was so funny because the mom is so calm. It's going to be up to you, Johnny. But she's for him. She's pulling for him. Her motive right. is good. But he's in We control. are so on the same page. You could be one of our trainers, Dr. Cloud. I well, hear so many of the messages of what you're saying and what we teach. And I just love that, that we can come together like that. You know, I have one more question that I promised everybody before the end. We've only gotten through we- two of the five essentials. So I'm just going to mention the other three and everyone's going to run and grab the book. That's what they're going to do, right? So the five are, we already covered understand and motives. And the other three are ability, character, and track record. Okay. That's the checklist, everyone around being trustworthy. And so I want to just ask you this question. Henrika asked it, and I think that a lot of parents are thinking this. So in regards to helping our kids with their relationships and being trustworthy, say your child's friend is acting untrustworthy, like being bossy. 
Here's the question. How can we teach our child to stand up for themselves and set boundaries in a respectful way if they have a bossy friend who's being untrustworthy? The child is maybe like six or seven, say seven or seven or eight, right? So they have the cognitive ability to think about that. Maybe just pretend I'm the eight-year-old. How would you talk to me about that? You're the one that's getting bullied. Bullied, bossy. Yep. That's like a parent training moment too, right? Yeah. So if you use the paradigm here, we've got to trust. What's the first thing that that is important for you to do is also important for them. And that's to get to a level of understanding. So I would want to ask the eight-year-old, I heard the way Jimmy was talking to you. What did that feel like? What's that like for you? Do you like that? What do you not like about it? What do you, how's that compared to the way that, you know, that Nathan talks to you, your other buddy. I would, I would want to create in them a self-understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, the first mark of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. A lot of times kid acts, kids act out because they're not even aware of what they're feeling. They're feeling. So we always want to create enough cognitive and neurological and psychological space for them to be able to identify their own feelings. Mm-hmm. And so I would want them. And in that, you're also telling them that you understand that this is a crappy day for them. And so you're killing two birds with one stone. So the next one is four, the motive. I ask him and say, well, what, do, what do you want to feel like with your friends? How do you want it to go for you? And start to pull out for them. See, we're also getting to goal-oriented you know, intentionality too, where, where they can have a motive for themselves that's self-directed, that's going down a good path. And so I would want to ask them, what do you want to look like? How do you, how do you want your friends, you know, circle to look? And okay, well, if that's the case, then what's the next one? Ability. Well, let's work on how to do that. And I remember one of our daughters was getting bullied in middle school, kind of a mean girls group. And and we had the best time as a family. We would sit out on the patio and role play her next day for a little while, which is going through a few weeks of tough stuff. And and her sister would be one of the mean girls, uh, which she was glad to play. <laughs> and, and, and Tori and I would be coaches or we would play the different parts and we built skills. And so then you got to build the skills of, OK, well, if this happens, then how are you going to go talk to the teacher? Or what do you do? So, so you're building in them the ability to end up through experiences and practicing and role playing and equipping and giving them options and choices and tools. What you want to do is equip your child, not run in and do it for them. And so then, you know, the next thing after that is the character. So what kind of person do you want to be? There's a lot of ways people handle this. <laughs> they might yell at him or punch him or whatever. And we don't want to do that. So, you know, or you can avoid it. You don't want to be cowardly, you know, or whatever. And so we start talking about the kind of ways in which you want to be the makeup of how you want to lean into the situation and and be an upstanding citizen in the ways you do it. The next one is track record. And, you know, what have you learned from Joey? He does this all the time. He's done it 10 times. What do you think he's going to do tomorrow? Well, you can, you know, and then what have you learned from the way you've handled this? You know, we've learned not addressing it is not getting you 
any closer to where you want to be. So if we do the same thing tomorrow, it's probably going to happen again. And we're teaching them about the track. You know, it's, it's a great model just to click off the boxes, even in discipline and training kids of how we want them to approach because it's how life works. We have been talking for a while and we've come to the end of our podcast today, but I'm just so grateful that you came today, Dr. Cloud, and gave just a lot of really good wisdom to parents around trust and telling kids, hey, your kids can do more than you maybe think you can. I have never had as much fun as I had, you know, when the girls were growing up, they're, again, they're 21 and 22 now. And and even in the teenage years, you know, people say, oh, you got teenage, parenting teenagers was literally, and I say this often, it's the most fun I've ever had. It was so much fun. And I think that, that, you know, if a lot of times the distress in parenting, there are so many things that go into it and it can be so difficult and so painful in so many situations. People have stuff happen to them and happen to their families and happen to their kids. And But I would say do exactly what you guys are doing, which is you're connecting to a community here with Stacy's Army and everything they do. You can't do this alone. You got to be in a tribe, but don't be in a tribe it's clueless. I remember I used to go to our parents' parent-toddler preschool with the girls. I would take them. And, and this circle of moms is getting, like, advice from Vogue magazine or, you know, watching <laughs> know. TV. I go, guys, you got to get plugged into some people know what they're talking about and where you can also be supported and be learning. So raise mm-hmm. these kids in a tribe. And that's what you're doing. That's what I would encourage you. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah, we have some great new things coming with the Discipline That Connects course. And one is new ways for people to connect in small groups. And I'm really excited about that. Well, Dr. Cloud, thanks for being with us today. We're going to have links for people to find all of your books and your website and be able to connect with you. Tell me go to boundaries.me and they'll find a a lot of stuff there. Boundaries.me. Awesome. Love it. All right. Well, thanks for being with us today. Okay. It's good to be with you, Stacey. Great job. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. We are a listener-supported organization. Over 50,000 parents like you listen to this podcast every month. Individual donations make the work to equip and encourage families possible. For more information about Connected Families or the discipline that connects with your Child's Heart online course, which is opening next week, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time.